There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. And I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. And for all these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt, we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. Amen. Hallelujah. I was thinking of a passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you'll just look around the 51st verse. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful group of your children that you brought together here today. In celebration of you and what you've done for us, who you are, to help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that every heart here be plowed and ready to receive the fresh manna from heaven, the precious seed of the word of God. Let it take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, folks, we fight against giants every day. But we often make the mistake of quitting the battle before it's really complete. Instead of destroying our enemies, we just chase them out of sight and leave them alive to come and fight us again another day. In Psalms 18.37, David said, I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. He made this very clear in his fight with Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know I'll have to back up a little bit. (laughs) Just to kind of get the point across. You know the story, though. The Philistines were the enemies of, of Israel, and they had gathered their armies to fight against Israel. And they had a giant on their team named Goliath, didn't they? The giant of Gath. And he... Everything in the Old Covenant is type and shadow. I talk about this all the time and I prove it up so that when you read the Old Testament, it'll bless you more. Amen. Amen. You can get more detail out of the Old Testament if you know how to read it through the New Covenant lenses of grace. Amen. But for 40 days, he went out there and he would taunt them. Challenge someone to come out and fight him. Well, nobody really wanted to fight this guy. He's only about 10 feet tall. But there came David, his little shepherd boy, out there to bring lunch to his brothers. And he saw what was going on. And he was, he had holy indignation. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, he said, that he would come against the people of God? 
he had a holy hatred for his enemy. He wasn't just trying to, to scare him off. He was out to kill him. Let me see if I can find something just to show you it's in the, in the Bible and not just me making it up. <laughs> uh, for 40 days the Philistine came forward and took a stand morning and evening taunting and tempting you see 40 days in the wilderness hmm what's this a type and shadow of I wonder The part about the uncircumcised Philistine where David asks is in verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Uncircumcised uh, to us as the church, and we're reading this by the Holy Spirit. We, who, is this, who is this guy out here that's not in covenant with God? Yes. Messing with the children of God. How are you allowing this? How does he think he's going to prosper and get away with this when we have God on our side? Amen. Amen. His brothers were jealous, of course. But it says here that David, in verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook. You know, when Jesus came against the devil at the beginning of his ministry, he had five smooth stones to choose from. First five books of the Bible. And he only used one stone. Every time he spoke back to the devil, it was from the book of Leviticus. The fifth book, the book of for grace. Amen. Amen. Just threw that in for free. <laughs> he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling is his hand, and as he approached the Philistine, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He was mad they sent out this little guy against him instead of someone, you know, more appropriate. <laughs> then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Amen. <clears throat> Go over to verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Sorry for the gruesome details. He had a holy hatred for his enemies. He wasn't just trying to scare him off, was he? He was out to kill him. He had resolve. I talk about Jesus' resolve. How he purposed in his heart to fulfill his destiny. David had purpose. He ran toward the fight. I suggest that we run toward the roar. Amen. Amen. I can't talk about that right now. I'll start a new sermon. <laughs> David slung that stone and God made sure it hit its mark, didn't he? Goliath fell on his face before both armies, but David wasn't through yet. The scripture doesn't say Goliath may or may not have died, does it? <laughs> the Philistines 
You see, their army, they were watching from the mountains. Probably, you know, they didn't have binoculars. And they weren't that close. They couldn't tell for sure, probably, if he was even dead. So David left no doubt, did he? (laughs) He climbed up on top of the giant. He drew Goliath's own sword. And he cut off his head. Then he held it up for everyone to see. Then there was no doubt in anyone's mind who had won and who was dead. Mm -hmm. The Bible teaches us that Jesus did the same thing with the devil. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing. We did a whole message on what triumphing means. It was the big celebration after the victorious parade through town. And they they brought the kings and the generals, uh, the the enemies, uh, sometimes with their in shackles and in cages, maybe with their their big toes and their thumbs cut off to show that they were no more threat to their people, you see. Triumphing over them in it. Today, you and I, we walk in the same victory. We walk in the victory that Jesus has already obtained for us. If you've been battling something in your life, And I, I could probably just take the if out of there. <laughs> just by the Spirit, I know this. Amen. God wants to encourage you to keep fighting. Not just until you get some relief, but don't quit until you are experiencing everything that Jesus died to give you. Hello. The Bible says that I and others who take on this responsibility are to raise up others for the work of the ministry. Giant killers. Amen? Amen. That's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. I don't have to do... Praise the Lord. (laughs) That's all right. Praise God. It's like when people have children and they're crying or whatever. I let them cry. Let them cry. Matter of fact, I've gotten accustomed to operating better under uh, loud circumstances with children. (laughs) Papa, Papa. (laughs) But Papa. (laughs) Like we talked about last week, I'm back to the point of raising up, trying to loose gifts into the body of Christ. Recognizing those gifts, inspiring them, trying to preach myself out of a job. Amen. <laughs> I I saw I saw how some things work, some things don't work. I saw how going out and finding the the best musicians I could just find just because they were great and said they played gospel music, but sometimes they might destroy a church. So, I made an attempt to make a joyful noise. Sometimes it was questionable. For a long time. Praying for God to send the people He would choose. And look what He's doing now. So much better His way, folks. Folks like me and John, we tried it our way almost to death. <laughs> but thank God. But like we were talking about last week, I don't have to do everything that Peter did, do I? 
We know Peter was a great man of God. We, we like to laugh and Peter makes us feel better about ourselves because he always stuck his foot in his mouth. That's true, but I'm, I wish that that's not all that we think about when we think about Peter because, you know, he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved. He preached again and he added 5,000 to the church back straight back to jail. He brought people back from the dead. Think about Dorcas or Tabitha's family, how grateful they must have been. People would just lay people in the street that his shadow might fall upon them and heal them. I talked about all the wonderful things that Peter did and then he was crucified upside down alongside his wife. What a great man of God. But I said, well, we don't have to be Peters, do we? Andrew, his brother, who you don't hear much about, went to Peter and said, we found the Messiah. And introduced Peter to Jesus. What if the next person you tell about Jesus turns out to be the next Peter? You're going to share in all of his rewards. Amen. Amen. It should start right there. There's somebody that will only hear your message. You're the only Jesus they're going to meet. Don't be the one that Gandhi met. Who tried to become a Christian and they wouldn't let him in the church. And he said, I would have been a Christian, but then I met one. (laughs) If we're going to be giant killers... We have to kill some sacred cows, though, folks. I really don't mean to start trouble when I keep killing all these sacred cows in the church. But it's because I love the body of Christ. And we are all supposed... Jesus is going to have his prayer that he prayed on that fateful night about unity. He will. Because if we know that if we, whatever we pray according to God's will, we know that He's heard us and that we have what we prayed for. Do you think that Jesus ever prayed anything that was against the will of God? So do you think He will not have His prayer granted? Amen. So I'm going to fight for that prayer to be fulfilled instead of against it. Amen. Amen. I like the fact that I know that everybody here come from all sorts of backgrounds and denominational settings and we love you all. I'm convinced that when people really start seeking God, I don't care in spite of their situation and circumstances and religion and denomination, he's going he's gonna to be found by you. It was really him trying to pull you in anyway. Amen. But no matter where you are, God wants to get your needs met. Do you believe that? Spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. So you can go and set, help others to get set free. Reproduce your faith in others. The problem is in the body of Christ, not many are walking in the power and authority and the victory that Jesus has provided for us. Right now, I'm just seeing in the spirit, I'm seeing a a picture of as many people standing outside looking through the windows like this as as there are sitting in here. Sticking their toe in the water. Just trying it out. A lot of them because they're skeptical. A lot of them because they tried it before and they got hurt by religion. So many are just watching and just listening. But God is calling for believers in these final days to be mature. Time to grow up. Time to get off the milk. (laughs) 
There's a passage of scripture. I was I was telling the melons I the Lord had me up till two o'clock in the morning just visiting with me and sharing things about today and and then I was on this street right here before I hit the speed bump coming into the parking lot and he says, You know, you ought to tell them about this. I said, Yeah, that would be good. But in Mark, in Mark chapter 9, well, in Mark chapter 9, I will read it quickly. I might have four or five closes today. (laughs) Mark chapter 9, Jesus had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm stalling because I can't find it. Tell me where I find it. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, chapter 9. This, boy, this dad had brought his boy to get healed, who was epileptic, I think. And uh, the disciples couldn't heal him anyway. To get to the point in verse 21, Jesus asked the father of the son, he said, how long has this been happening to him? Isn't that unusual? I had a lady that I only saw twice in about three year period I was preaching at a church. She had problems of her own. But the couple of times I saw her, she, she seemed to be there to teach me. But one night she was at a Bible study there at the church and there was a man that came in who'd never been there before, really nice guy, and he had some ailments. He started sharing that with me and there was a group around and this lady just jumped in his face and said, you've already got it. You've already got it. No, you've already got it. He's like, God, what? You're already healed. And he's like, okay. My point about this is she was right but she was wrong to do what she did in that particular situation and setting. She didn't know anything about this man, and he definitely didn't know what she was talking about, and we never saw him again. A lot of times when I minister to people about healing or anything else, I need to talk to them first. I need to talk to them a little. I need to see where they're at. I don't know where they grew up, what church bus they caught. They could be like me. Thought I was a Christian. I got baptized a couple times. Once drunk. All I got was wet. (laughs) Nevertheless, I need to see what their spiritual location is, what they're believing. And... Jesus was trying to see how deeply entrenched this was. Obviously, the disciples weren't able to get it done. So it was ingrained. It was something that had been accepted. It had been lived with and tolerated for a long time. You see? It was one of those giants that kept showing up. And then it would leave again. And then they would just wait for it to come back the next time. Never been dealt with. That creates doubt and fear and unbelief in the mind of a person. And it's really hard to overcome that. This guy said from childhood. Then Jesus knew. And it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can. He's telling Jesus this. If you can do anything. Have compassion and help us. And Jesus said something really interesting. He said, if you can. He didn't say, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? No, he said, if you can. And he yelled it. He wanted him to understand. This problem is not with my power and abilities. It has something to do with you. And I need you to know that. 
He said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And I love the honesty of this father. He said, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That's real, folks. That's the way to talk to the Lord. I love it when I meet people that are just as big a hicks as I am and talk like this. And then when they go to pray and it's in the King James English, I'm like, what? Are you trying to frustrate the Lord? (laughs) Forgive me, I'm just playing. He loves you anyway. I want to tell you something about this. Psychology, is there any psychiatrist or psychologist in the room? I'm not against you. I love you. But psychology has really messed a lot of people up and interfered with the body of Christ in a big way. And uh, people are trying to deal with things from a soulish, on a soulish level. Psychology, the, the word psychology comes from the word psyche, which is Greek. And, and the Greek word psyche was the name of the Greek goddess of the soul. So it's demonic in, in the offset. She was known for her uh, immortality and she could fly and had magical powers. <laughs> Mythical being. But psychology oftentimes wants to make victims out of folks. It's like they meet you at the door with a free pair of crutches for everybody, whether you need them or not. And Lord, I I hope that you're hearing me in love. I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I'm not trying to, to criticize. This is... This is... From God and its loving correction. Because if you don't know the truth, how can you be set free? And the world has lied to people for so long that it started to sound like the truth. And if the only truth you're getting is a 15 minute snack a week guaranteed not to offend a lot of folks are in trouble and these are people that one soul is worth more to God than this entire world I don't care who they are what color what race what religion what gender they're worth everything to God And so they are to me too. So I don't care what I think or wish could be the case. or If it disagrees with the Word of God, I'm going to go with the Word of God. I'm going to preach God's truth. And if I'm living below it, we're going to all try to come up together. Amen. Amen. Not going to lower it to meet my standards. Or the biggest givers in the church. That's another story. (laughs) Psychology dealing from a soulish realm. So when we get born again, our soul didn't get changed. It didn't get renewed. It's our spirit that got changed. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says that we are spirit, soul, and body. Three part beings just like our God in heaven. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is a familiar passage of Scripture, says when you're born again, you become a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so if you don't understand 
that you're a spirit with a soul, a personality, a mind, a will, and emotions riding around in a body, then you won't understand a lot of this. Because sometimes it's talking to your flesh. Sometimes it's talking to your soul. Sometimes it's talking to the new man, to the spirit man. So when you were born again in that new create creature, and you read that and you say, well, I go and I look in the mirror and obviously this thing didn't change. It said all things. Still wearing my spare tire around my waist. And I still got some really screwed up thoughts, Lord. That's because that old nature, which you don't have anymore, you don't have a dual nature. That old sin nature, that was the spawn of Satan, believe it or not, was evicted when the Lord came in and renewed your spirit. Then he sealed your spirit perfect and healthy and holy. The very mind of Christ, the kingdom of God is within you and it's sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee, the earnest money for that purchase has been provided to you. God bless you. Thank you. So we need to know it's our spirit that, and in the spirit, man, you can't discern with your natural senses, you see. You have to find out who you are in your born-again spirit, in this word, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Help me now, Holy Spirit. The point is, you're not supposed to be dealing with things from a mental, emotional level. You're supposed to be dealing with things from the heart, from that new spirit man. The part of you that's always in agreement with God. The part of you that is identical to Christ. You're not getting little bits of God more and more and more. He's full blown and full grown already. All the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control you'll ever need is already in you. Psychology rules out the spirit altogether because they don't know how to differentiate. They know about this personality and the body. And so that's what they deal with. So they're ruling out everything that is spiritual, whether it's, whether it's godly or demonic. Fair enough? Because it's just dealing with the intellect and the emotions. This is wrong, folks. And I know this is like a class of like like a seminary class or something. So I'm not trying to... I hope it's not like watching paint dry. I'm trying to make some very important points because it'll change your life. It'll change your life and then it'll help you to change the life of others. If you can get this... And it's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit to help you. So you need to ask Him. But psychology teaches you to be emotional. But Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, the children of God. Amen. Amen. God is a Spirit. Isn't that what He told the woman at the well? In John 4, 24, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If he created you in his image, you're a spirit too. So, to, so when they teach you, you need to, you need to let it all out. <laughs> or else you're in denial. That's not good, folks. They teach you to vent. Fall apart like a wet paper bag every time something doesn't go your way. Don't miss an opportunity to be offended. You're entitled. 
say and do whatever feels good. You got to be you. You got to do you. Problem is, <laughs> you don't know who you are. But when they tell you nothing's your fault, it should send up a red flag. (laughs) Then they send you home with a trophy. (laughs) Pay on the way out and don't forget your next appointment. Because now we got you hooked for life. But when they get you to vent, and speak out all that negative. They're, they're getting you to speak death, folks. In all its various forms. In agreement with the devil. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. You're creating your future with your words today. Yes. Rehearsing the enemy's victories in your life is not healthy. It only reinforces... His strongholds in your life. It gives him a legal right. When you brag on the devil. Most Christians have more faith in what the devil can do. Than what God has done. I'll give you an example. In John chapter 14. On that last fateful night. John 14, 15, 16, Jesus expounds greatly. He had a lot to say on that last night, didn't he? But he was telling them in the first few verses of John 14. I'll look if you want me to, but you might be here. You might not beat the Baptist to Luby's. <laughs> he told them, let not your heart be troubled. Psychology would say, hey, there's something wrong with that. You shouldn't tell someone that. That's unreasonable. You just told them you're going to be crucified. I mean, come on. (laughs) In John 16, verse 1, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you so that you will have peace. What things? Everything in John 14, 15, 16. (laughs) Spiritual truths and some natural. Fourteen times he told them he was going to be crucified. In those in these four gospels. In those three chapters. Seven times, though, he said, but I'm going to rise from the dead. If they would have believed the spiritual, if their spiritual eyes and ears, remember the message? I don't remember who was here. A week ago, two weeks ago, about our hearing and our vision, our spiritual eyes, our spiritual sight. If their spiritual eyes and ears would have been open, instead of being carnal, they could have not let their hearts be troubled, couldn't they? Being carnal doesn't always mean sinful, folks. It just means natural. If we just get our 15-minute cold snack a week and go about and listen to CNN and all the people at work and all the people at the... Wherever you go, whatever you do in this world... You're going to be carnal. You're going to be natural. You're going to be... And sometimes it's just... You're just busy. You just got... And you don't realize that you can actually... You know, I I heard a preacher. He's actually his dad. who's even a a more renowned preacher. A friend of mine. He's got a church up the road. but I'm not telling the direction. He's got over 10,000 members. Great guy. I heard his daddy, who the do- with all the doctorates on his wall, right? Talking about how some of you are so spiritually minded, you know earthly good. You ever heard that? Yeah. You know, that's nonsense. 
Isaiah 26, 3 says, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. You know, you go to work, you go about your daily life, you're busy, you got routine. You can think about God, you can pray all day. I'm like Paul. I thank God I pray in the Spirit more than all of you. Side blinded you, didn't I? You didn't know I was one of those. Don't worry, we're not going to be juggling no snakes in here doing cartwheels. Because that ain't how the because the because God's not weird, <laughs> and he and he didn't. Never mind. <laughs> Lord put a guard over my mouth, but let me preach your word. Let it be you. It wasn't going to be pleasant. To see him crucified, of course. But they still could have had faith and peace. Even seeing him hanging there on the cross. Because they could have said, hey, Sunday's coming. He's getting up. What a day that's going to be. If they would have believed. But they didn't. They could have had that same peace. That Jesus had when it looked like the ship was sinking. And it wasn't. Right? When Lazarus was in the tomb for a few days. Because he didn't stay there. And Jesus knew he wasn't going to. Jesus in that next scripture in John fourteen twenty seven, My favorite scripture. He, on that same night he gave them a gift. A personal gift from himself. Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give it. I'm not taking it back. (laughs) And then he said their part. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's a relationship, folks. We do have a part to play. Y'all with me? Am I with me? We don't have to let negative emotions have their way in our lives, folks. We do the same thing the disciples did. We pick on them and it, it's fun to look at Peter and, and see ourselves and makes us feel a little better. <laughs> but we don't have to be like that. We have their examples to go by. We have the truth of the Word of God. We have the Holy Ghost. We don't have to go to Google before we go to God. (laughs) On that night, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be crucified. He said it over and over. And then he said, let not your heart be troubled. It doesn't seem logical. That's why five times in those same three chapters, he... Talked about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's impossible to not let your heart be troubled without the Holy Spirit. Unless you're just a zombie or just a cold-hearted, mean person. You might have met some of those who are just so lost and mean. But for the most part, We need the Holy Ghost, folks. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit before He started His ministry at 30, He was baptized with the Holy Ghost the same time He got dunked. (laughs) And then those disciples who had been with Him for three and a half years and who were chomping at the bit to go out and tell everybody about Him, He said, don't even think about it. He hung around for 40 days. Ascension came. He said, don't you wait in Jerusalem 10 more days. On the 50th day on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And then he said, now you can, now you can go in the power of the Holy Spirit because you're going to need him. You're going to need him. I don't care how well prepared you think you are. I feel sorry for some of the people who have all the wonderful talents and looks and abilities because sometimes you get to thinking, I can handle this on my own. 
folks like me, I know I need God. (laughs) These things are going to try to come against you. Loneliness, bitterness, fear, depression, anger. The enemy's not going to stop trying to fight you. He's in this world for a time. But Jesus gave you power over all the works of the, of the enemy. Not over the enemy himself, but over all the works of the devil. Now, if you grew up somewhere that told you that God's the one putting sickness on you and divorce and poverty and strife and all these things to teach you a lesson, then you've got to kill some of those sacred cows because those were all lies. And when a preacher attributes the things that the devil does to God, it's really sad. But hopefully, this new great awakening that's coming upon the nation and the world, we're going to uh, have a lot of that undone. Amen. Amen. They say there's something like 22,000 churches that aren't going to reopen after all this. Good. I don't mean that in a hurtful way. But if somebody was sitting in a dead church, being lied to for years and years, I don't want it to reopen. I want them to find a place that they've been looking for where they can really find God. And find His truth and His love. The Word of God is always a little painful to those who are living outside of it. But oh, Andrew says it's like rubbing a cat. If, it's, if it rubs you wrong, just turn around and rub the other way. <laughs> Be all right. Just repent. <laughs> We can control our emotions, folks. We're not supposed to let them rule our lives. God gave us emotions. He, it's, it's not normal to be rejected and to be mistreated. God is love and, and He created us in His image. And we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. But that should not dominate our lives. The fear of man brings a snare. God should be the only one that we're really out to please. And we should pray that everyone follows suit and comes along for the ride, but they're not all going to, folks. Don't try to blend in with the world. If you sit on the fence and become a mealy-mouthed fence sitter, the fence belongs to the devil. (laughs) You say, well, you say I have all these things, but you don't know me. You don't know you. If you're born again, I'm telling you, I don't care what you think. And I mean that in love or what you've been mistaught. This thing's all screwed up sometimes. This is the soulish realm that has to be renewed. Paul begged us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, Don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the washing of the water of the Word. Become, make your bodies a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is they like to keep crawling down off the altar. If you find yourself running away from the altar, just climb back up there. Be all right. Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we have to renew our minds according to the truth of God's word. We have to, instead of looking and magnifying our situations and circumstances, because they can be quite grievous. They can be giants. (laughs) I'm sure the closer David got to that giant... (laughs) I wonder if any thoughts ran through his mind. Good Lord, he's big. He looked a lot smaller from over there, Lord. 
I don't think so. He was he was filled with a special impartation of the Holy Ghost. God did that in the old covenant sometimes for people. Now you can have it all the time. Probably some of you have been baptized in the Holy Ghost and maybe 20 years ago you did it and you spoke in tongues one time just to prove to somebody or to yourself that you got it and that was it. You need to utilize that gift. That's how you draw on the wisdom of God. That's how you build yourself up in the most holy faith and in love. That's the dipper. It gets the wisdom of God flowing in your life. Amen. All the answers you're seeking for. You cast your care upon the Holy Spirit because He cares for you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's your guide. Remember the picture I painted? I showed you Genesis chapter 24, which is an entire chapter. is a self-portrait of the author of this Bible, the Holy Spirit. He was the servant that Abraham sent to get a bride for Isaac, Rebekah. You're Rebekah. Isaac was Jesus. Abraham was the father. And the humble one who only called himself servant, that was the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. He's the revelator. He will remind you of everything that Jesus has said. And that what Jesus said again that night in John 14, 26. The scripture right before my favorite one about the peace that he gave us. You know, Billy Graham said in 1949, changed his life. He had been preaching and he heard God tell him, you make a terrible Holy Spirit. He had been preaching people sort of some hellfire and brimstone, painting them into a corner where is it this or else. He says, that's not what I called you to do. You just tell them about me. You just lift me up. You tell them what I've done for them, who I am and how much I love them. Let me do the fixing. I don't need you out there trying to be me. You don't need to bring conviction to these people. I'll do that in my way. I'll bring loving correction. And it changed his life. And that's what we always want to do here. I just want to give you the facts. If it pricks your heart, go talk to the Lord about it. Because he's just trying to help you. Anything God asks us to do, it's because it's good for us. It's not because he's trying to take anything away. It's because he got something better. If you'll hand that over, he's going to give you something better. Every time. His way is perfect. I never heard anybody. I used to describe it like going to the gym. Sometimes it's hard to go, but you never said you went. I never heard anybody that came to the Lord for real. That said they, well, I wish I'd have put it off a little longer. I still had some... Some things I wanted to do in the flesh. Never once have I heard anybody say that. <laughs> in First Corinthians, and I'm I'm closing. In First Corinthians, I won't go there. They're, they had written some letters. <laughs> To Paul with all sorts of questions and complaints and arguments, whatever. And in those letters, he saw, and he starts addressing to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the divisions in the church. Some follow Paul, some follow Cephas, some follow Jesus, etc. And Paul... He said, well, just, just love them all, no matter if, if, they're, if they're Paul's uh, followers or Peter's or, or Jesus. Just love them all. We're just supposed to love everybody. No, he didn't say that. I'm just making that up. He said in chapter 3, if you got divisions in the church, he says, is Christ divided? And in chapter 3, he said, if you do have divisions amongst you, it's because you're carnal. 
It's because you're just natural. You're not understanding. You're not seeing things after the Spirit. You're not walking after the Spirit. Otherwise, you'd be unified. And I believe that. All the different denominations and... Jesus said it best. He said, uh, you... Your traditions and doctrines of men have made the word of God none effect. And these are just divisions of man. If we would all just, you know, I, very seldom do I have people come to me and say, listen, uh, Pastor, we've got, we diff- we got a disagreement here, and uh, it's pretty bad. Um, can you help us uh, figure out what the word says? Because whatever... That says that's what we're going to do. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. Paul had other letters that people were taking, Christians were taking each other to court and stuff like that. He said, what? What? You, children of God filled with the Holy Spirit, are taking your matters to, to unbelievers to figure it out? <laughs> Isn't there anyone with any wisdom amongst you? Can't you figure this out? <laughs> You've got God there to answer your questions. He was amazed. You know, the book of Ephesians is... uh, I'm probably going to get into that pretty soon because I'm just... I've been so blessed recently again by it. But you know, the first three chapters... Six chapters. So perfect. First three chapters basically telling who you are in Christ what God has done for you, how much He loves you, and everything that has been given to you already on account, already done, past tense, all things pertaining to life and godliness, already yours in Christ Jesus. Really builds it up, telling you who you are, how blessed you are, how loved you are. And then the last three chapters, therefore, here's how you should walk it out. Here's how you should live based on the fact that this has already been done for you, already been given to you. Notice it's not the other way around. The last three chapters. Here's how you do Christian life. If you do this, then you can have the blessings and the love and the peace and the acceptance. No. You see the difference? One would be the law. One would be legalism. One would be you earning a relationship with God. That's never going to happen, folks. The other way, the right way, the way it is written, is telling you who you are and what you have apart from your works, apart from your performance. The world doesn't read the Bible. The world reads Christians. And the world thinks... That it's about behavior modification. They think it's about keeping the Ten Commandments. And they know two of them. And they don't keep those. (laughs) The good behavior part is just a byproduct of the relationship with Jesus because He's freed you from the chains, the bondage, the slavery to sin. Now you're free. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy, I was just going to get started right here. (laughs) No, He's telling me to... He's telling me that your minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure. (laughs) You know, there's a new study that came out that shows that most Christians, even evangelicals who are supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost, believe that the Holy Spirit is just a force and not a person. That is very sad to me. He is a person. And he loves you. And he needs, he, he wants to be your great friend. If you, if you listen to the, that Genesis chapter 24, you need him. When he went and got Rebecca and 
she made room for him in her house, which is what you need to do. And then she followed him on that long journey back across that desert, adorned with all the gifts that he had given her. To her destiny with her bridegroom. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do with you. It'd be foolish for you to try to make that journey on your own, wouldn't it? How many times, how many things have you done or even have going on now in your life, whether it's business or something to do with your body, your finances, relationships, that you just really doing on your own and asking God to bless it? You're supposed to let the peace of God be the umpire in your life. That's what Colossians 3.15 tells us. I try to live by this, but I'll just give you a confession. Before I had this open heart surgery, which I found out I was walking in pride because it embarrassed me. It made me angry because I, I believe in supernatural healing. Still do. Does this make God love me any less? That he had to do it this way? No. But was it his best for me? No. Does that condemn me or make me feel terrible about myself? No. Because his love for me isn't based on my faith or my um, performance. He still got it done for me. And supernatural things took place, wonderful things. But I, at the time, I, I was trying to just do everything a man should do. I was looking out. I wanted to make sure I was taking care of my wife, you know. It was pretty bad what I had. It wasn't just a bypass. It was a bunch of them and had to replace parts of the heart and stuff like that. And I should have only lived for three years or two years with this condition. And I'd been hiding it for about ten. <laughs> so, I was trying to get things in order for my wife. And I went and I made a purchase of a... I already had cattle and, and stuff like that. And I bought a whole bunch of them on a note. Just sort of a rent-a-cow deal, you know. It's, it's not a... It's not uncommon to do an operating loan like that, and then you, and then after you bring up, you put weight on them and you sell them back. Well, the market dropped out. I was trying to do this just to get everything ahead. I paid all the bills months ahead. I did all these wonderful things, and uh, but I, I never had a, I never had a doubt that God was going to, I was going to go through this with flying colors, and that He was going to show off, and they, they were going to, because my. Prayer became, once I knew it wasn't going to be supernatural healing, I said, let there be supernatural testimonies. Let wonderful things about you come out of this. And let the healing process, let them say, wow, we can't believe this. And I heard that I don't know how many times. Wonderful things. I mean, almost like revival broke out in some of the rooms in the hospital while I was there. I mean, you know, I never even doubted it for a second. He says, well then then it wasn't faith, all the other things you were doing. You were doing that for the world. You know, that was to impress. That was to, for appearances, that was for because you were thinking carnally. And you knew when you asked me about the, the cattle thing, that 50 grand or whatever it was, you knew that I never one time gave you peace about it. And I even told people that God will cause you to say things out of your mouth that he'll bring to your remembrance. And you go, oh, yeah. (laughs) The peace of God is so important to, to wait on God because sometimes people get tired of waiting, especially in this microwave, uh, uh, America we live in. We want everything now. We want it our way. And if, uh, if God doesn't, uh, show us uh, the manifestation of our p- prayer. By the time we get up off our knees, we think, well, he didn't do it. I'll have to handle it myself. <laughs> Not true. Anyway, wait on the Lord. His way is better. He's got something better. He heard your prayer. 
He hasn't forgotten you. He's going to do it, and He's going to do it in a great way. He's watching you. He's stretching your faith, perhaps. But He is... He is in love with you. He loves you. He got your picture in his wallet. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm on. We don't ever finish. We just stop and start again. Amen. That's right. That's right. I love you all, and I thank you so much for everybody that's being that's here today, and for all the blessings that y'all brought to us. I we're just I'm I'm gonna be talking about this all week. I love you all, and God loves you. Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your precious word and these truths. Lord, we just ask that people hear every word that you had to say today. Anything that was of me, the dross, just let it let it just fly, fly off their back like water off a duck's back, Lord. Just, just let them hear the truth of your precious word and your promises and your provision for their lives. Help them to grab onto it, take hold of it, and make it their own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.